Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, yesterday I didn't get a chance to do a podcast, but we actually had a 1,000 point rise in the Dow Jones. And in fact, some of the other indexes, Russell 2000, I think was up five or 6%. So we had a really, really big uh, gain. And the, the catalyst for the move seemed to be the announcement by a small biotech company that they had a vaccine for COVID-19, that they saw some promising results in their phase one trials. And as a result of that announcement, which happened before the stock market opened, we immediately saw a 200-point Dow rally, you know, turned into a 700, 800-point rally even before the open, and we ended up with a 1,000-point rally. Now, first of all, you know, a, you know, preliminary results in phase one really amounts to nothing. I mean, maybe it's possible that this vaccine could ultimately work. Who knows? But from my experience with uh, biotech companies uh, bringing drugs through the various FDA phases, that the vast majority of the ones that actually make it through phase one, this one hasn't even done that yet, but most of the ones that get through phase one don't even make it to phase two, let alone phase three, and then end up you know, becoming a, a, a viable drug that's on the market. So this thing is a long way from actually uh, becoming a vaccine, but on the on the mere hope that maybe this could be a vaccine, uh, we had this big rally in the market. And you know what happened this morning or yesterday, rather, after the close, 
the company that has this uh, vaccine announced a major uh, share issuance. They're going to sell over a billion dollars worth of stock. You know, obviously now at this elevated price because they want to use the money supposedly for the infrastructure required to produce this vaccine when they don't even know if they're going to be producing it yet because they don't even know if they have a viable vaccine. All they have is some early success in phase one testing. But, you know, that's all this market needs, despite the fact that it's already massively overvalued. Uh, So I don't even think, even if we had a vaccine, uh, the market is still overvalued because it doesn't even reflect the reality that exists without the vaccine, uh, let alone, you know, benefiting from one. But I think what was even more ridiculous than the stock market rising because of this vaccine was the gold market falling. In fact, before the news came out about this potential vaccine, gold prices were at new highs for the year. Gold was up over 20 bucks and it ended up selling off. It went negative. It it wasn't killed, but it was down over $10. Now, silver, which was up 40 or 50 cents, which was a huge move uh, relative to gold, uh, silver managed to hold on to most of its gains. And so several of the silver stocks ended up uh, fizzing you know, finishing positive on the day. But a lot of the gold stocks, which made new uh, 52-week highs early in the morning and which were actually even higher pre-market open before the news of the vaccine uh, took some of the air out. But then a lot of these stocks sold off on the idea that, oh, if we have a COVID vaccine, that's going to be bad for gold. Look, that shows you how many people don't understand gold or why it's rising. It doesn't matter about uh, a cure or a vaccine for COVID-19. That's immaterial to what is going to happen to gold or to gold stocks. Because gold is not going up because of COVID-19. Gold is going up because of what the government, and more specifically, the Federal Reserve, are doing in response to COVID-19. And what they've already done You see, all the increased government spending, all the money printing is already there, right? That's not going away if we get a COVID vaccine. Now, maybe you can argue that future monetary policy won't be as reckless as the current monetary policy if we eventually get a vaccine. So maybe there'll be some type of, you know, curtailment of massive money printing and and government spending sooner, But basically, if you just count everything that the Fed has already done, right, what's already in the pipeline, I would say at a minimum, gold should be 5,000, maybe quite a bit higher than that at a minimum. So if the vaccine is or if COVID is around for several more years without a vaccine, well, then maybe the additional money printing means that gold should be at 10,000 or 20,000 or whatever. But what's clear to me is that based on what's already been done, the price of gold has to go much higher than its current price and gold stocks have to go a lot higher than where they're trading now. So they should not be selling off on the possibility of a vaccine when they haven't even nearly risen as much as they will or should based on where they should be even if we have a vaccine, which we don't. And you know, the other thing that is really incredible about all this is that You know, people are worried about the health threat posed by COVID-19. And I think personally that that threat has been 
exaggerated. I mean, greatly exaggerated. Uh, sure, you know, it's a contagious disease and you can die from it just like you can die from other things. Uh, but I think that the, the, uh, the risk to the population has been exaggerated and the response is, you know, excessive, right? And I think that even though some of the politicians initially may have just acted out of an abundance of caution and because they didn't have the data, you know, we have a lot of data now that shows that a lot of that caution was actually unnecessary. I mean, maybe you could say better safe than sorry. But I think now that we have the data, politicians don't want to admit that they overreacted because I think they're reveling in the fear that COVID-19 is creating and their ability to push through their agendas, their big government socialist agendas in this atmosphere that absent that fear, they never could do. So the politicians are now able to use this to their advantage. And so they don't want to say, hey, you know, we overreacted. It's not as big a threat as we thought. They like the idea that they can perpetuate uh, how big this threat is. And, and so they're not going to reverse course. So while everybody is you know, exaggerating the health threat of COVID-19, they are completely uh, you know, minimizing or ignoring the very real financial and economic threat of the government's reaction to COVID-19 and of the Federal Reserve's reaction to COVID-19. Those threats are real. Those threats are extremely serious, right? We are going to pay a heavy price, not for the disease, but for the government's financial and economic cure. You know, everybody just assumes that the government can help us just by printing money, right? That, that all they have to do, it's like a big giant get out of jail free card. Whenever you have a problem in the economy, well, the Federal Reserve just creates money and the problem is solved. What people don't understand is that it's not just that we don't solve the problem by printing money, we create an even bigger problem. So we compound the problem of COVID-19 and its effects on the economy by making the negative effects of the economy even worse in the government's attempt to counteract that perceived damage by printing money and by um, uh, uh, and spending money, but um, the rally that we got right off of this uh, COVID cure or COVID vaccine happened on top of a rally that began uh, the evening earlier, right? Because the Dow was already up about 200, 250 points before the news of this vaccine broke. And the catalyst for that earlier rise, and I think also the catalyst for the earlier rise in gold, right, that was negated by this announcement, uh, was Jerome Powell's Sunday night 60-minute appearance, right? And he was on 60 Minutes, basically reassuring the country that the Fed uh, was there, that the Fed had everybody's back, not to worry, that yes, uh, this crisis is very bad and this is a horrible downturn that was brought about by this virus, but it's okay because the Fed is there, 
right? That the Fed has plenty of ammunition left that we've barely begun, that nobody has to worry about the Fed running out of bullets, right? That there's still all sorts of stuff that the Fed could do. And in fact, Jerome Powell said, there is no limit to what the Fed can do. Now, of course, the Fed really can't do a lot. I mean, what it really boils down to is they can print money. I mean, that's really all they can do, right? And in fact, uh, Powell admitted as much because he was asked during the interview, basically, well, you're just printing money. And he's like, well, effectively, yeah. I mean, we don't physically have to print it anymore because we can just electronically create it. Uh, but basically, it's the same thing. So if all the Fed could really do is print money, right, which is inflation, the Fed could create inflation. That is its only weapon. The only thing it can do to try to help is to create inflation. Now, when you call it create inflation, it doesn't really sound that helpful, right? But when you talk about, well, we're going to liquefy the markets, provide liquidity or whatever, quantitative easing, some people maybe interpret that or, or believe that that is helpful because, you know, people know that, oh, if I only had more money, right, I could buy more stuff. And so, yes, if the Fed could give everybody more money, well, then we can buy more stuff. We can all pay our rent. We can pay our bills if we only had money. But what people don't realize is that they don't want money. They want the things that money could buy. And the Federal Reserve can't create any of that stuff. They can just create the money, not the stuff. And so if the Fed just creates a lot of money, but the economy isn't creating a lot of stuff, then what happens is the price of that stuff goes up and you just need more money to buy it. So that's all the Federal Reserve can do. It can make prices go up. Now, there are some people who think that's a good thing, right? Because they say, oh no, if prices go down, that's going to be terrible. Nobody will buy, right? But that's all a bunch of nonsense. But you have to keep remembering, the only thing the Fed can do is make prices go up. Right? So prices are higher than they otherwise would have been. So either the Fed stops prices from going down or it causes prices to go up, but that's all they can do. Right? And that's not helpful. It Maybe it's helpful to some people, but it hurts other people. And overall, it's negative for the economy. But when Powell says that there is no limit to what the Fed will do, He's basically just saying there is no limit to how much money the Fed is willing to print. That's it. Because since printing money is all it can do, then there's no limit to that. Well, I guess that's only a true statement if you're willing to print the dollar until it has no value. Because ultimately, there is a limit, right? The market is going to impose a, a limit. But of course, you know, if you wait for the market to impose the limit, well, then you've got a crisis. And in fact, I was watching former uh, Fed Vice Chair Alan Blinder, right? He was interviewed on television, I think it was yesterday. And at least he expressed a little bit of concern about the deficits. I mean, Powell, and I'm going to get into what he said today, uh, but he completely dismissed uh, uh, the, de the deficits and the balance sheet as if it was even a concern at all. But at least Blinder was saying, yeah, you know, this could be a problem one day, but luckily it's not a problem now because he said, looking at the market indicators, right? Looking at the treasury bond market, right? And how low interest rates are, looking at the foreign exchange market, looking at where the dollar is right now, that there's no market indication that this is a problem, that we've reached the limit of the, the world's ability to buy our debt. And so, so far, so good. And, and so we can keep on, 
you know, running these big deficits until we get some type of market signal that it's too much. Well, therein lies the, the problem because you can't wait for the market signal. I mean, it's obvious that at some point, right, this is going to produce a crisis. We can't borrow forever, right? We can't tell the world there is no limit to how much money we're going to print and how much money we're going to borrow and expect the world not to react to those statements, not to start preparing for that eventuality, right? Just the minute you know there's no limit to how much inflation the Fed is going to create and they couldn't give a damn about how big the deficits are or how big their balance sheet is, they're basically telling all the fools that are still holding U.S. dollars, get the hell out. If you still have U.S. treasuries, get out. You're going to get killed. We couldn't give a damn about you. We don't care how much money you lose. All we care about is trying to stimulate our economy now. We don't give a damn about our creditors. All right, well, then you're not going to be a creditor. So if you're going to wait for the market to tell you that you know, you've used up uh, your, your goodwill, right? that you know, you've crossed the line, well, then it's a complete full-blown crisis. Right? Because when the dollar finally falls because we've crossed that line, it's going to implode. It's just going to collapse overnight. Right? Interest rates are going to spike up. You're going to see a bond market crash. We haven't experienced that. We've seen big drops in the stock market. Well, a big drop in the bond market is even worse. So what Blinder is saying is, hey, we're just going to keep on blindly printing money and not worrying about it and borrowing money until the bond market implodes, until the dollar crashes, and then we'll do something. Well, it's too late to do something then. What you have to do is be proactive. What you have to do is say, wait a minute, we better defuse this bomb on our own before it explodes. We better do something now to get our house in order before our creditors force it to happen, right? Because if you wait for, uh, you know, the, your, your lenders to default, to foreclose on you and, and go to court, right? It's too late, right? If you see that you're on a trajectory that is going to lead to bankruptcy, right? It's better to alter your behavior before you get there. Don't wait until, you know, all the foreclosure notices are here and, you know, you're scrambling to protect your assets, right? That's what Blinder was saying. But at least Blinder was admitting that there will one day be a problem. We're just not there yet. And again, I've used the analogy of jumping off the top of the Empire State Building. You can't make that jump and say there's not a problem because you haven't hit the pavement. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Once you jump off the roof, hitting the pavement is a foregone conclusion. The problem isn't the pavement. The problem is that you jumped in the first place. So we've already jumped. We're going to hit the pavement. We just don't know when, but that's going to happen. Uh, But I think that it was Powell's comments on there's no limit. That's what got gold going up. That's what got silver going up. And the rally was temporarily derailed right, on this nonsense about the virus. I mean, again, even if, I mean, the vaccine, and even if the vaccine is real, it doesn't matter because you still need to vaccinate your portfolio against inflation. That's already out there. We're already infected with that disease. It doesn't matter at this point what happens with COVID-19. Yes, I suppose that the inflation will be even worse if we never find a vaccine, if we never find a cure, but the inflation that has already been unleashed, the monetary policy and fiscal policy mistakes that have already been made are enough to send gold to 5,000 or higher. So people need to be buying gold and gold stocks as fast as they can. And in fact, we recouped everything we lost yesterday and then some. Uh, Gold stocks made new highs at GDX and GDXJ, uh, made new highs for the year. You had many big gold stocks up seven, eight, nine, ten percent today alone. Uh, you know, you saw another big jump in the price of silver. So I think the low is in for silver. I also think the low is in for the gold silver ratio. I've been talking about this on that po- on this podcast. I've been pounding the table on the podcast for silver. I think you know silver is a great play right now. I think you've got a lot more you know, percentage upside. I even talked about people trading in some of their gold for silver, which you can do at Shift Gold. We allow you to buy silver with gold, right? So if you already have your full allocation to metals, you know, without increasing your allocation, you can change the allocation and have more silver and less gold by turning it, you know, using some gold to buy silver. And then maybe in a year or two, whenever, you can sell that silver and get your gold back and use silver as a way to ultimately increase the amount of gold that you have because you're buying silver with your gold when silver is cheap. And then you can sell your silver for gold uh, when silver is expensive, which is going to happen eventually. I think it's bound to happen. And I think the fact that the ratio got so out of whack Right? I think you know you had a lot of people shorting silver or selling silver 
And I think you trapped a lot of people and we put in a bottom and now we're going to have an explosive move up. I think the same thing really happened too uh, in gold, gold stocks, the way they violently sold off in March on the initial move of the Fed uh, to take rates back to zero and relaunch, you know, QE. Uh, you had a big shakeout. I think a lot of people who had stops in the market uh, got stopped out. And I think we really cleaned out a lot of dead wood. And now we're very well positioned without a lot of, you know, excess baggage for a moonshot uh, in the metal. So people should be buying, you know, physical gold at shiftgold.com, physical silver. It's not too late to buy silver by any stretch. We got a long way to go, I think, in, in the silver gold ratio uh, so we can buy it. And again, these mining stocks, they are giving these things away. People still don't get it. I mean, I don't know how anybody could sit back and watch that, you know, Comp, not a press conference, but that, you know, testimony today in front of uh, Congress, you had the simultaneous testimony of uh, Secretary Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, and Fed Chairman Powell, right? Both of those guys were together. I guess they're not in the same room. They're, you know, they're doing it all, uh, you know, on camera, on Zoom or wherever they, they organize this, right? Because of social distancing. But these guys are both fielding questions and they're acting, you know, as, as a duo, as a team, right? And they're here to reassure Congress that they're helping, right? That they're doing everything that they can uh, to see us through uh, the COVID crisis. When the reality is there's nothing they can do. The government doesn't have any money. The government has to take money from some people and give it to others. How does redistributing money benefit the crisis? And they're not even saying that. I mean, at least if you had some uh, congressman saying, look, we need to take a lot of money away from the wealthy people that have it and give it to the poorer people who don't, right? We really need to help out the poor right now. Uh, we have to take some money from the wealthier people because times are really hard now. A lot of people are unemployed. So we really need to take more from the haves to give to the have-nots. At least that would be a legitimate uh, argument. I mean, I would disagree with it, but at least it would make sense economically or financially. But nobody is saying that. Nobody is saying that the government needs to raise tax revenues on anybody. The government is supposedly going to help everybody. They're just going to dole out money that the Fed prints, and we're going to bail out all the companies, little companies, big companies, individuals. Everybody gets a check. Well, whose bank account is the check being drawn against? How are we getting all of this government for free? Because if you can get government for free, why ever pay for it? And the reason is because there is no such thing as a free lunch. The most expensive way to pay for government, the way it does the most damage to the economy, is the way we're doing it right now, to have the Federal Reserve print the money, which is why we don't do it. Right. We normally, you know, the Fed has been printing some of the money, but normally we fund most of our government through taxation. Not that people like paying taxes, but because the alternative is worse. And in fact, if you look now at um, the website, uh, usdebtclock.org, right, you can see the national debt, which is now above, you know, 25.3 trillion, right? It just keeps on going up. Every time you look at it, it, it takes a big jump. But it actually shows you how much money the government is collecting in taxes and then how much it's spending. And right now, the government is 
uh, borrowing about 49 cents out of every dollar that it spends, which to me is a shocking statistic. I mean, it's almost 50%. So let's just call it 50% because it'll probably be there uh, shortly. But that means that the government is borrowing as much money as it raises in taxes, right? So 50% of its spending is financed by debt. I mean, think about that. Let that, that set in. Because imagine if a family ran its finances the same way, right? So let's say a family has $100,000 uh, a year of income, right? After tax income, right? I mean, because you can't even look at the pre-tax income because you don't get that income to spend. So let's say there's a family that after paying the income taxes and the payroll taxes, they have 100000 a year coming in, right? Well, let's say that they spend $200,000 a year, right? And they borrow the other $100,000, right? So they can spend 200, right? So they're, they're paying for half of their lifestyle with borrowed money. How long is a situation like that sustainable, right? I mean, not very long. And it is going to end in disaster. There is no way that you can pay for half of your costs with borrowing money. But that is what the United States is doing. We are collecting 3.4 trillion in taxes and we're spending 6.6 trillion. So half the money we spend is being borrowed. And think about this, that is with interest rates at record lows. I mean, at practically zero. I mean, what would happen to the cost of servicing the debt if interest rates return to normal? Well, obviously the debt service charge would explode. And now instead of spending six and a half trillion, we'd be spending seven and a half trillion or eight trillion. And where would that extra money come from? Well, it would all be borrowed. And of course, if interest rates went back to normal, the economy would implode, right? Which means the government would collect even less in taxes and have to spend even more money. So pretty soon you would get to the point where almost all of government spending was being financed through debt. But the problem is, you know, once you get to the point where you're financing almost all of government with debt, you're basically letting the lenders know that they're never going to get their money back because the only way to pay back the creditors is through taxation. But you're not collecting taxes. There's no way to get the taxes. I mean, think about what I already said. If the government right now is borrowing a dollar for every $2 it spends, right? That means that if the government today were to live within its means and actually require American taxpayers to foot the bill for the government that they're getting right now, to actually pay as they go, to pay for the government instead of borrowing and paying for it later, if we actually had to pay for it now, well, the government would have to double taxes, right? Everybody who's currently paying taxes would have to pay twice as much in order for the government to continue its current spending. Now, does anybody want to pay twice as much in taxes? I mean, can anybody afford to pay twice as much in taxes? Not that many people even have the ability, the wherewithal. Well, that means that we can't afford all this government. If we can't afford to pay for it now, how can we afford to pay for it later? Because paying for it later means we also have to pay the interest on the money we borrowed.
right? So this tells you that a, a crisis is coming, right? And this crisis is so big, right? I mean, I was, you know, you know, thinking about it earlier today that in the future when historians, you know, look back at this time period and they write about this horrific, epic economic collapse that we're about to experience in the United States, I think that the most interesting aspect of it is going to be how few people knew it was coming, right? How you could be so close to a major collapse, right? Just like we were very, very close to the 2008 financial crisis, right? And apart from a few, you know, fringe voices like mine, everybody was very sanguine. Nobody was worried, right? Even the Fed chairman, nothing to worry about. Subprime is contained. Everything is fine, right? And then we went off the cliff. Well, what's about to happen, right, is going to make that look like, you know, the proverbial Sunday school picnic. The crisis we're about to endure is so much worse. It's not even close than the financial crisis of 08 and that, that great recession. Yet nobody sees this one coming either. People are completely clueless. And so when they write about it, that's going to be the interesting fact that nobody can even believe. How could people have been this dumb? Well, this is how we're actually living in it because people in the future are not going to believe that people today were this dumb. But, you know, we are this dumb. You know, we're living future history right now. But anyway, the point that I, uh, that I wanted to make is that how can anybody uh, listen to these guys and not immediately just buy all the gold that they possibly can and all the silver and all the gold stocks? In fact, you know, this crisis is so obvious. I mean, duh, you can't print all this money. You can't have these kind of deficits and not destroy your currency. It would be impossible. It would be unprecedented if we got away with it. Yeah, I know we got away with it in 2008. That doesn't mean we're going to get away with it again on a much bigger scale. You know, that's the false sense of complacency. Oh, we got away with it back then. Oh, Peter Schiff was warning about inflation back then and he was wrong. See, so we can ignore him now. No, the people who weren't worried then just got lucky. They're the ones that should have been ignored. I was right. But, you know, if you ignored my advice back then, it was okay so long as you follow my advice now. But today you ignore my advice at your own peril. Because if you get wiped out by inflation, it's your own fault. I mean, how much more do you need? It's so obvious what's going to happen, right? And, and so you got to get in. You got to get out of dollars. Divest yourself of your uh, dollar-denominated assets. Get gold, get silver, buy gold stocks. I mean, they're, they're going to go so much higher. What are people waiting for who aren't buying them? I mean, there should be nonstop coverage of these stocks. If anybody in the financial media had an you know, ounce of understanding of what is about to happen. And, you know, we have all this time, too. People have had so much time to prepare. And the only reason that you can prepare is because other people aren't, right? It's because this obvious crisis, right, it, 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 people are so blinded by it. People don't see it coming. That's why you can get rid of your dollars. You have to have somebody willing to buy them who doesn't understand how much value they're going to lose. In order for you to get out of your dollars, somebody has to be willing to get in. To buy gold for dollars, someone has to be dumb enough to sell you their gold and accept dollars. Well, the supply of those fools is going to be exhausted uh, pretty soon. So you have to work. And again, today's testimony was just a buy signal. And I'm sure that the rally we had today in gold stocks was not unrelated uh, to what 
uh, these guys had to say. And first of all, you know, they should not even be appearing together, right? That's number one, a warning sign right off the bat, right? When you see the Secretary of the Treasury and the Chairman of the Fed working together, right? That that alone is a no-no, right? Because the Federal Reserve is supposed to be independent of the government. Why is it supposed to be independent? Because the, uh, you know, the drafters of the Federal Reserve Act and the whole concept they did not want the government having the ability to just print money. They didn't want the government to be able to run deficits that it could finance by printing money. So they had an independent central bank that initially couldn't even loan money to the U.S. government. And I I mentioned on a previous podcast, they only amended that to enable the financing of the First World War. But the idea was that we need an independent central bank to have a buffer between government and its desire to just spend money to get votes and a central bank that would you know, deny them that ability because these guys aren't elected. They don't have to sit for elections. They're not beholden to the voters. So they can be the responsible ones, right? They're like the chaperones at the prom, making sure that the teenagers don't drink too much, right? And, 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 and now what you're doing is you're seeing that uh, the kids and the, and, and the chaperones are buddies, they're, they're drinking together. I mean, you know, the, the whole purpose of having a chaperone, if the chaperone is getting drunk and partying with the teenagers, then what's the point of having a chaperone? And that is basically what's going on right now. You don't want these guys working together. You want a pal acting as a check and balance to prevent the type of policies that are being pursued right now. But the reason that the government can act so recklessly, the reason they can spend and borrow with impunity is because they don't have an independent central bank preventing them. They have a beholden central bank, you know, egging them on. In fact, that's one of the things that uh, Ben Bernanke, or I keep saying Ben Bernanke, uh, Jerome Powell, right? These guys are all the same, so I mix them up. But one of the things that Jerome Powell said on 60 Minutes last night, he said, now is the time to borrow money, right? Now the federal government should use the power of its budget to fiscally stimulate. Now is the time. Forget about deficits, right? Now's the time to borrow. What do you mean now's the time? We've been borrowing the whole time. I mean, it's not like we've been frugal all these years and now is the time to borrow. It was the time to borrow before. I mean, I mean, the reality is this is not the time to borrow This is the time to stop borrowing. This is the time to acknowledge, oh my God, we are in a crisis because we're broke. The problem is that we have all this debt. The solution is not to pile on even more. The solution is to deal with this debt problem right now, right? Yes, it would have been better if we dealt with it sooner when the economy was stronger, but now that it's weaker, we really have to deal with it because the idea is that, well, we can make the economy stronger, by making the debt bigger. No, we can't, especially when the reason the economy is so weak is because the debt is so big, right? If you have a debt problem, if the debt is weighing down the economy, how does adding more debt help the economy? How does it make the economy or the weight on the economy lighter when you build more debt, pile more? It doesn't, it makes it worse. But these guys are still so clueless about what's happening. But anyway, let me get back to... um, to today's, uh, you know, joint testimony. So um, Powell was actually asked, and I, I forget who asked him the question, right? But he was asked if 
he was worried, right? If Powell was worried at all about, you know, the huge increase in the Fed's balance sheet, right? Is this a concern? And Powell said, no, no, I'm not worried at all. Now, first of all, to even say that he's not worried, to me, that's a reason to worry, right? Because how could you not be worried, right? So either he's a complete fool, right, to not be worried about this. I mean, I can see him saying, you know, yeah, we're doing it. We feel we have no choice, but yeah, God, I am concerned. I mean, this is a lot of spending. You know, the deficits are really getting big. I mean, you know, there could be some adverse consequences, but you know what? We're just going to close our eyes and hope for the best. Uh, But yeah, I sure I'm worried, but we're doing it anyway, right? You might think that if he said that, at least it would be indicative of that he's got enough common sense to know that this is potentially a problem. But you know what? He doesn't care, right? Because he's got this other emergency that he's got to deal with. And so he's willing to take the risk. But then the idea is that, well, you know, maybe that Powell is so worried Right? That he's actually lying, that it's not that he's just concerned, that he's you know, scared out of his mind about what the Fed is doing. And he's worried that to even acknowledge the fact that there's a risk might actually precipitate the very collapse that, that, that scares the hell out of him. Right? Because maybe he feels that he has to you know, portray this maximum confidence. Like, I don't even care. What are you talking about? Forget about it. There's no way. There's nothing to worry about. Maybe he feels he has to downplay it so much, right? Which reminds me of Ben Bernanke with the subprime, right? Oh, it's contained. Don't worry about it. Was he telling the truth? Was he really so dumb as not to be worried about subprime? Or was he so worried that he had to downplay the risks by pretending they weren't there? Was he so afraid to acknowledge his concern because he thought simply acknowledging the concern would accelerate the crisis and so that he had to pretend that there was nothing to worry about. But it looks completely ridiculous, right? Either way, because either he's lying or he's oblivious. But either way, it, it doesn't paint a good picture. And if I was uh, you know, holding U.S. dollars, if I was holding U.S. treasuries, I would be selling Right. I mean, if I hadn't already figured out that I have to get out of dollars, this would have been a wake up call. And, you know, if I hadn't already bought my gold, right, this would be the impetus to do it. Right. Because they're they are all in. Right. There is no limit. I mean, take Powell at his word. And it's not really a promise. It's more of a threat. The Fed is threatening to print an unlimited amount of money. That is a threat that should be taken seriously. And when somebody threatens you, you should do something about it. If you don't do anything about it, then it's your own fault that something bad happens to you, right? You've got an opportunity. The Fed is warning you, hey, we're going to destroy the value of the dollar. Hello? So you can either hold on to dollars and go down with the ship or get off right now, right? And that's what I am trying to encourage people to do. And you know, the crazy thing is I'm still reading these articles. Somebody sent me an article today about the risk of deflation, right? The risk that prices are going to go down. I mean, the irony about all these people who are worried about prices going down. First of all, that's not even a worry. Prices going down are a good thing. You don't have to worry about that. But the reality is what you actually have to worry about is prices going up because that is a problem. That is a bad thing. 
And that is what's going to happen, right? So not only are people wasting their time worrying about something that isn't even a problem and isn't even going to happen, they're not worried at all about the actual problem that's going to happen, which is a big increase in consumer prices. Look, I don't care that the initial knee-jerk reaction to everybody sheltering at home was a drop in prices of some goods. Yes, of course, that was the knee-jerk reaction. But the longer-term reaction is going to be a big diminishment in the supply of goods and services and a massive increase in the amount of money that's bidding those prices up. But what's really going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back is going to be the dollar crisis on foreign exchange markets, right? What what Alan Blinder is waiting for as a sign that the Fed has borrowed too much is going to happen and then it's going to be too late to do anything about it. I mean, look at the price of gold. I mean, yeah, it's around $17.50, but you look at a chart. It is going to explode higher. Every day that it doesn't do that is another gift, right? Where you have the opportunity to continue to buy it if you haven't already done it. But one of these days, the price of gold is just going to explode. And it's probably going to happen this year, right? I mean, it's not like this is something that's going to happen in the distant future. This is going to happen now. And whether it's today, next week, next month, this is now, right? You got to do something about it. But right now, you know, the dollar is losing value against gold, but it's not really losing much value against other fiat currencies, right? And so all these currencies, all the currencies in the world, are losing value against gold. And in fact, most of the world's currencies are at all-time record lows priced in gold. So you they've never been able to buy less gold than they can buy right now. Now, that's not the case for the U.S. dollar because the U.S. dollar's all-time low against gold was in uh, 2011, right? But it's not going to be long before the dollar takes out the 2011 low. And then the dollar's decline is really going to accelerate. And that's when the gold bull market is going to go parabolic, right? Because it's one thing uh, when the dollar is the least weak of the fiat currencies. It's a completely different ball game when it's the most weak. Because the dollar is the reserve currency. So at least the reserve currency needs to be stronger than all the currencies that are using it as a reserve, right? So even though all the currencies are weak, if at least the dollar is less weak than all the other currencies that are using dollars as their reserve, well, then maybe the dollar can continue to be the reserve currency. But once the dollar becomes the weakest currency, it's going to be very difficult to maintain that status. Now, there have been periods in the past where we had a weak dollar, where the dollar was falling against other currencies, yet it maintained its reserve status. And that was mainly because of the yield, right? The U.S. dollar paid interest rates that were very high. And so you were able to pocket the yield. And that was what kept the dollar's viability. Uh, And there was also an outlook that, well, even if the dollar is weakening in the short run, it will strengthen back up in the long run. And at least politicians paid lip service uh, to being fiscally responsible and to addressing the debt at some point. And so there was some optimism 
that the debt would stop and that the dollar would maintain viability. And in the interim, you know, you were getting a pretty good uh, return in the way of interest on the dollars that you're holding. But right now, the interest on the dollar is basically non-existent. So you're not getting paid anything for owning uh, dollars. And so if the dollar is weaker than the other currencies, what's in it for you if you hold it, especially if you have gold as an alternative? Because this is going to be the key to the next gold rally. Because the dollar competes with gold as a reserve asset, right? And in the past, the dollar had a much higher yield than gold. Now it doesn't, right? The yield on the dollar is basically the same as the yield on gold, which is no yield, right? Which is zero. So basically then, the only way the dollar can compete with gold is as a store of value. Well, it loses hands down, right? So once gold starts hitting new record highs in dollars, which means the dollar is hitting new record lows against gold, then the dollar loses uh, its ability to maintain its reserve status because then the market will start to shift reserves out of dollars into gold. After all, if there's zero yield on dollars, yet the dollar is constantly losing value relative to gold, if I'm going to store my monetary reserves in a non-interest-bearing asset, I might as well own the stronger of the two. I might as well own gold instead of dollars. That's why a gold price that's rising in dollars is much more significant than a gold price that's rising in other currencies that are not seen as an alternative to gold as a reserve asset. So we are rapidly approaching that point uh, where the, the future viability of the dollar's reserve currency status is called into question. And then you get the currency crisis, then you get the bond crisis, right? Then the dollar collapses, right? And now consumer prices really, really surge, not just based on all the money that we're printing, but based on all the money that we already printed and which foreigners are holding in financial instruments and not using them to buy consumer goods in America once they want to get rid of their dollars and buy what they can before it has no value, then all the dollars come back to our shores and then all the new dollars that we're printing stay within our shores because we can export them uh, and get goods in return. And then it's you know just a tsunami of inflation. The dollar implodes and then it's, look, it's too late. You can't do anything about it. All we can do is react to the crisis and try to, you know, uh, deal with the damage, which is going to be, you know, you know, massive. And again, the risk in all of this beyond the economic obliteration, right, the financial ruin that is going to befall so many Americans, apart from all of that, is the risk of everything being blamed on capitalism, on the free market, and the tremendous advancement of the socialist agenda in that the aftermath of so much economic upheaval that we get this massive push into socialism and we surrender what's left of our individual rights. I mean, we don't nearly have as many freedoms and rights as we once enjoyed, but we still have some. But I think if we go all in on socialism, we have to give up the rights that we still have. So that is even a scarier thing uh, the loss of political freedom, right, is even a scarier thing than the economic collapse because once we lose that freedom, then there's never going to be a recovery. We have no chance. I mean, at least if we get 
uh, the problem right after the fact. If we have massive inflation, if the whole house of cards collapses and we have all this misery and economic ruin, if at least the public by then understands that it's the government that did it, it's the Federal Reserve that did it, and we understand that we need to embrace capitalism and the free market, and we can't look to the government to help us. We need to look to ourselves. We need to recognize that there's nothing the government can do for us. There's just bad stuff they can do to us, that each of us individually needs to roll up his sleeves and go back to work. And if we want to consume, we have to produce. And in order to do that, we have to save, right? And if we go back to that, we go back to sound money and limited government, then there is light at the end of the tunnel, right? There is a promised land that we can one day arrive at. But if we don't do that, if we give up what's left of our liberties and we fully embrace socialism because we let the politicians scapegoat capitalism for a problem that capitalism had nothing to do with creating, that was 100% a function of central government planning and central banking and regulations and government spending and taxation, well, then there's no hope, right? So, uh, but for now, since there's nothing that we can do uh, to alter the course, what we need to do now is just make sure that we don't go broke to make sure that we at least profit personally to the greatest degree that we can because the wealthier we are, the better position we're going to be to make a difference. Right? I think the, the amount of money that I'm ultimately going to make on my gold stocks and things like that, I think they will, it will leave me in a much better position to be able to help uh, lead the country in the right direction. And as many people out there who follow my advice, uh, they can also help. They can help show the way uh, and show people the light. You know, because the people who get wiped out, right, they're, you know, obviously they're not going to have as much credibility as the people who understood the problem. And the way you could demonstrate your understanding is that you had the good sense to prepare for it. How, why did you know what was coming? Because you understood the negative consequences of what the government was doing. The people who are going to get blindsided and wiped out, that's proof that they had no idea what they were talking about uh, in, you know, the entire time. Anyway, that's it for now, everybody. Uh, we got um, a lot more stuff coming on this week. We got the Fed Minutes uh, coming out tomorrow, so those will be interesting. So I'll continue to comment on it. But the big move, again, is that we, we are in breakout territory in gold and gold stocks. Uh, so look out. Uh, we could have a very fast move uh, coming to the upside uh, very soon. Thank you.